Fantastic. Great. Well, uh, do keep talking over lunch. Uh, really recommend keeping chatting away and getting to know people. So we've been in a series now for four weeks, and uh, we, we really wanted ahead of today, which is really our marker of becoming a legally, financially independent church in our own right, uh, we wanted to take uh, some time across February to think about generosity. We wanted to think about God's generosity to us. We wanted to think about what it means to be generous with each other, and also to, st- to join in with what God has planned for the world. And, uh, you know, when we were planning the series, I was trying to think, who could I invite to come and speak? And actually, it didn't take me very long at all to think of the name of one person. Um, because behind all that happens in the front of Vintage Pasadena, there are, there's a, we have a board. And within our board, we actually have uh, one particular person who looks after our finances. He's our treasurer. He's the chairman of our board. But more than that, he's actually somebody who lives a story of generosity. Um, we've experienced it. Um, you've probably experienced it if you've been around Vintage for long. Um, and so I want to, sounds a bit funny this morning, but um, I want to welcome up someone who is quite nervous, but is absolutely fantastic. And you're going to laugh at every joke that he makes. And he'll tell you which ones are the jokes and which ones are not the jokes. So you know which ones to laugh at. Okay. Uh, shall we give a massive round of applause to John Lewis? Well, good morning, and he's not wrong. I am incredibly nervous. Um, Yeah, why am I doing this is a really good question. I have no idea what I'm doing. So um, so just be prepared. Um, We know that at the end of every sermon, uh, there's an appropriate time to complain about what wasn't right. So I've asked that um, any complaints, uh, there's a special email address to send those complaints to. Do we have that email address up? There it is. So all complaints go there, just so you know. Um, So yeah, so the question is sort of why am I doing this, right? Uh, For some of you who may know me know that I'm a recovering CPA. Um, But you know, that's probably not it because you know, when you say certified public accountant, uh, engaging speaker. It's probably not the first thing you think of. Sorry, Dave. Uh, um, you know, it could be uh, that Ben thinks that I have some deep theological insight into the topic of generosity, um, but that's probably not true because I'm a seminary dropout, so that I don't think is the case either. So what are we left with? Um, I'm pretty sure that what we're left with is the fact that I'm old. And I say that actually seriously because, you know, it means that Deanne and I have spent a long time walking with Jesus, and we've had uh, time to have a journey in generosity. 
And so I think that's part of why Ben asked me to do this. Um, so we will talk a little bit about our experience. Now, anytime a speaker talks about their experience and say, we're going to talk about my experience, about something, my little flashy red lights go off, right? Because there's this old expression to the man with a hammer, the whole world looks like a nail. Um, you know, my experience explains everything. And so I just want to say that our journey isn't necessarily going to look like your journey. And that's just fine. Um, and I would also say, I don't think our journey is done. I think we're continuing to learn and grow uh, in generosity, and I hope we never feel like, like our, uh, our journey is done. Um, but with all those caveats, I think it's important for us to talk about this topic with some transparency, because I think sometimes for a variety of reasons, sometimes good reasons, sometimes not so good reasons, we don't necessarily talk about it with the same transparency. And I think that impedes our ability to grow as followers of Jesus in this area. Um, so I'm hoping to be a little bit transparent in ways that'll help. And maybe when we're done, you'll feel a, a little bit more um, thoughtful about the why, the what, and the how of generosity. Um, but we'll see, I guess. Um, Clearly, if that's going to happen, it's going to have to happen because the Holy Spirit is doing something. So let me pray and read the passage that we're going to look at. So we're going to look at 2 Corinthians uh, 9, 6 through 8. But let me pray first and ask the Holy Spirit to make something of this mess. Hey, Lord. Um, wow, I could really use your help. Um, and just would appreciate if you would move in power now. Uh, make these words your words and just help each of us to grow uh, more and more like you in your spirit of generosity and grace, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Okay, so 2 Corinthians uh, 9, 6 through 8 is the passage that Pastor Ben asked me to look at. So let me read that for you. This is from the NLT. Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your own heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. So um, I don't remember a lot from seminary, but I do remember that context was kind of an important thing. So uh, let's start by just talking a little bit about the context of this letter. So what's going on in the bigger picture is that there's a famine going on in Jerusalem, and uh, people are in need. And the people that are in need there um, are really everybody, but especially those who are in the church. And there's a reason for that, and that's because the system in which uh, care for those in need was provided was through the synagogue. You know, part of the offerings that went to the synagogue went out to care for those in need. And a lot of these believers have now been expelled from the synagogue, so they're cut off from that normal line of, of provision. So there's serious need on the part of the believers in Jerusalem. Meanwhile, Paul is you know, working around the Mediterranean and the Aegean planting churches, and he's encouraging them and, uh, and they're motivated to give, uh, to care for those who are in need in Jerusalem. So he's visited the Corinthians. The Corinthians have previously committed 
that they're going to do something to help the believers in Jerusalem. Meanwhile, he's in Macedonia, which is a much poorer area than Corinth. And uh, he basically is writing the Corinthians, and he's saying, hey, I'd like you to follow through with what you promised to do. Um, and so this is the encouragement that he gives them in this passage. So that's the context of the passage. The context of our, our series, as you know, Ben's been teaching the last three weeks. He talked about the fact that God is generous, um, number one. Number two, that God includes us in his plan through our generosity and that we become, get to become kingdom investors. So today, the one big question that I want to try to have us at least answer somewhat is what happens when we journey uh, towards generosity. So um, when you think about generosity, you know, we know people give uh, for all sorts of reasons, right? And if we're honest, you know, we, we do too. Um, and you know, sometimes there's an ego component. Um, I, I don't personally know, but I imagine if I went over to Caltech over here and there was the John Lewis biomedical lab on some big building, that that might sort of stroke my ego. Um, but it wouldn't have to be something that big, right? It could be the thank you in the program for the event, or it could be, uh, you know, the recognition from uh, the director of the organization, or it could be the mug swag, right? It doesn't take anything. Or maybe it's just nothing. Maybe it's just something that happens inside me that strokes my ego when I give. Sometimes we give out of a sense of obligation. Uh, you know, I, I, uh, my dad was uh, in the Army in World War II, trained troops uh, when he was in the Army, and was a very duty-oriented uh, sort of a guy, and definitely passed that on to me. Um, and, you know, being faithful and doing your duty, lots of good things happen when you're faithful and you meet your obligations, right, and you do your duty. Um, but what's interesting is that that's not what Paul has to say here about why we should give, right? If you go back a chapter to 2 Corinthians 8 9, he talks about Jesus and his example to us. You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. And of course, the classics, you know, John 3, 16 and 17, right? For God, this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. That's the example that we have from Jesus, right? Is this expansive, ridiculous love that gives sacrificially. Now, for us, uh, talking a bit about our story, um, one of the key moments for us in moving sort of from that sense of obligation to love came when I was reading the dissertation of a pastor who'd written his PhD dissertation on the question of, does tithing apply to Christians in the New Testament era? So as you imagine, like, you know, it's a dissertation, right? So it's a pretty thick document. Well, somewhere in the middle of it, I've, I've, I learn, as I'm reading this dissertation, that there is not one tithe in the Old Testament, but three. So if you're really serious about following the Old Testament uh, guidance, you should be giving 
not 10%. At which point you can imagine the, the beads of sweat, you know, as I'm partway through this dissertation, like, oh, okay. Um, but this guy ends up concluding that no, it doesn't apply uh, to New Testament Christians in a legalistic sense. Um, but it's sort of a good news, bad news, good news sort of a thing, right? So the good news is it doesn't apply. But the bad news is I don't get to give 10% and act like the 90% is all mine. Um, I'm accountable for 100%. But the good news is everything I do counts. So it's just this much more comprehensive sense of I'm accountable before God. It means I have to think, you know, from the standpoint, if love is my driver for why I do things, I've got to filter everything through that. So new car, yes or no. Um, New iPhone, yes or no. New kicks, yes or no. Helping that person in need, yes or no. All of it is filtered through this issue of love. And you remember how Paul in in 1 Corinthians 13, and I love the way the message puts this, says, if I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't love, I've gotten nowhere. So no matter what I say or what I believe or what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. So when it comes to generosity and it comes to giving, how do I make sure that I'm not driven by ego or obligation? How do I make sure that I'm really driven by love? And I got to tell you, I got no secret formula. I don't know anything other than opening my hands and laying myself before the Lord and just saying, Lord, help me to be motivated um, by your example of love and self-sacrifice. But, uh, you know, There is something else that happens, I think a dynamic that happens when we lean into generosity and something that makes it easier and easier. And that is joy. Joy is the ridiculously expansive result of generosity. Um, Look at the passage at 2 Corinthians 8.2 in talking about the Macedonian church uh, who are not in great shape financially, he says, They're being tested by many troubles. They're very poor, but they're also filled with abundant joy, which is overflowed in rich generosity. And then when Paul's talking to the Corinthians in anticipation of what's going to happen when they follow through with the gift that they've promised, he says in 2 Corinthians 9, 12, so two good things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. So generosity and joy are linked in this kind of symbiotic cycle, right? In like this spiral. I experience joy in the giving. Those who receive experience joy, God is honored, and there's this cycle that happens in a really positive, repetitive sort of a way. One of the times that I was most struck by this aspect of joy was uh, with a client of mine. So this is uh, a guy, one of the classiest, most gracious people I've ever known, really a hero of mine. When I first met him, uh, it was in the early 80s, and uh, he was at that time a billionaire. Um, and now think about that for a second. This was pre-internet. Um, 
And so I was uh, probably 23 in his office in the conference room reviewing some legal documents. And to tell you what kind of guy this guy is, he brings me coffee while I'm working in his office. I'm just so gracious. Well, fast forward to decades later, and he's given 95% of his wealth away. And I was sitting with him, and I said, gosh, um, you know, uh, not many people in your position would have handled your wealth the way you did. And he said, and this is classically self-aware on his part, you're right, but they've missed out on the joy that I've had. And I thought that was so great. Um, and I think that, you know, part of it clearly is that there's joy in seeing the impact, right? I think he could look and see the things that he had done and the way that lives uh, had been changed by how he had given. But I think there's another component that contributes to the joy, another part of this story of leaning into generosity, um, and that's freedom. The joy that comes from freedom. We all know that money and things can have a hold on us, right? It can happen uh, in, in a really overt way. It can happen gradually and sort of subtly. Um, I can remember uh, when Deanna and I were um, first saved uh, to be able to buy our first house, and we're in that process, and it was kind of a market like it is today where it just was nuts, you know, trying to buy a house. And uh, gosh, the nights we lied in bed, just, you know, I don't know, can we afford something? Are we gonna find anything? Is our offer gonna be accepted? Are we spending too much? I, you know, all that stuff. Well, fortunately, we eventually bought our first house, and then, you know, as we say, when you move into your first house, Murphy moves in with you, right? You know, it's like, oh, there's the, the roof needs fixing, and the plumbing, and the air conditioning, and all this stuff, right? And it's not hard at some point to take a step back and think, do I own my things or do they own me, right? Things can have a hold on us. But there's a way of thinking about freedom that comes from keeping our focus on giving. And remember what Jesus said, right? No one can serve two masters. You'll hate the one and love the other. You'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and be enslaved to money. That's why I tell you, don't worry about your everyday life, whether you have enough food or drink or clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or stow fruit in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't, they, aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? Well, that's all well and good, right? Because philosophically, I've just said, well, we should be motivated by love. We're going to experience joy. That's going to create freedom where we're not controlled by our stuff. That all sounds good. But, you know, let's get down to, you know, brass tacks, right? Like, how does that actually work? How do you actually decide how much to give. Um, well, uh, here's one story. There are these three guys who are having that very discussion. How much should I give? So the first guy says, well, here's how I do it. 
I, I draw a five-foot diameter circle around me, and I take all my money, and I throw it up in the air, and whatever lands inside the circle I keep, and whatever lands outside the circle I give to God. And the other guy says, oh, well, here's what I do. I, I draw a five-foot circle around me, and I throw all my money up in the air, whatever lands inside the circle I give to God, whatever lands outside the circle I keep. And so they turn to the third guy and they say, well, what about you? And he says, I take all my money, I throw it up in the air, and he takes what he wants. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, that's probably not the recommended way to do this. Um, for us, uh, kind of a turning point in that discussion came probably 25 years ago um, when I uh, met a guy named Jeff Ryan, who some of you know. Um, for years, people would say to me, well, you know Jeff, and I, no, I, I don't know Jeff. And they used to think that because Jeff and I had a couple of things in common. We had a, a heart for mission, and we had finance-related careers, um, except for the fact that Jeff is a lot smarter than I am. Um, Stanford undergrad, Harvard MBA, and he's the managing director at UBS in Hong Kong. Um, but Jeff and I did finally meet, thanks to a mutual mentor, and uh, he and I were having breakfast the first time we met, and within about 15 minutes of meeting each other, we've each pulled out our, our goals, right? Our lifetime goals, our one-year goals, you know. It was a complete geek fest. Um, but um, one of the things he said was really impactful. At the time, uh, I had made partner in our firm, um, but it hadn't really had much impact on my income at that point, though I had hopes. And so Jeff challenged me and said, before the income shows up, decide today, as your income goes up, how much more you're going to give, how that percentage of your income is going to go up, and set that standard. Because we know that what happens is, I'll give when, right? We know that conversation, I'll give when. And then when comes, and there's always something else, right? There's the next car that I think that I need, or that other thing, or whatever. Um, there's always a reason to renegotiate. And so the challenge was, pray about it, go before the Lord, set a standard, and don't renegotiate. And so that's what Jeff challenged us to do, and that's what Dan and I did. Something else we did in conjunction with that that was super helpful was we created a separate account. I'm using this little can as my example of our separate account. We created a separate account uh, for our giving. And so what happened was we had this percentage we decided we were gonna give. When the income came in, we set that percentage aside in a separate account that was specifically for giving. And it wasn't gonna get used for anything else. It never went into the other account. So we were never tempted to use it for anything else. That was our commitment. And, um, and so we decided to do that. And it was interesting, um, you know, there are a couple of things that, that happened when we did that. The first thing was our sense of freedom in responding to what the Lord might call us to do in terms of giving went way up because the money was already set aside. We knew exactly where to go. We knew exactly where to write the check from. Um, and so 
our sense of just trying to listen to the Lord and what, did you, what do you want me to do just went through the roof. And uh, it was especially great for Deanne because she wasn't you know, stressed about, was, that, was I gonna write the mortgage check this month or not because it was already set aside. It, was, it never hit the account. Um, the second thing that it did is functionally, it capped our lifestyle. You know, as that, that income and that percentage went up, you know, by the time you gave the, you know, a significant percentage away and paid taxes and saved a little, you know, honestly, we lived on a percentage of, of what we made and not a particularly large percentage. Um, but here's something else that happened. We set this money aside in our little giving account. And when we set that, those targets, to be honest with you, I didn't really expect that we would ever have income that would hit some of those targets. But when we did that, what happened was something like this. <laughs> I mean, honestly, it just was expansive. Um, and it's what Paul says here, right? If you look at the, the, the pattern of what Paul says, he says, hey, if you do this, God will generously provide all you need, and then you'll always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. And I just have to be honest and say, that is our experience. That, that is what happened with us. I love how um, Bob Goff talks about this. He talks about God's economy, and I've got a long quote here from, from Bob, if you know him, crazy guy. Uh, but I love this quote. He says, Jesus always taught for free. There was no honorarium, no speaker's fee, no long reading bio about his qualifications and achievements before his talk. There were even a couple of times when lunch was included. On those two occasions, thousands of people showed up and Jesus didn't call a caterer. He told the people around them just to bring what they had and let him make what he wanted out of it. Jesus' friends came back from the crowd with a few pieces of bread and a handful of fish. Not exactly feast material for thousands of people. Then Jesus' friends started passing out what they had. A fish and some bread for this person, and again for another, and again for the next. And the food just kept coming. And I wonder at what point they started elbowing one another, saying, Did you see that? After the meal, after thousands of bellies were full, there were loads of food left over. It didn't make any sense. God's economy rarely does. I don't think God expects us to make sense out of our lives or what we do with them. Maybe he wants to show us how to love extravagantly every chance we get, even when it doesn't make sense. That's the only way love does things. The miracle of the story isn't only how Jesus generated all the extra bread and fish. It's that Jesus didn't make just enough. He made what was more than enough for everyone. Jesus' friends were ready to cancel lunch. Love has a way of multiplying well past what we think is possible. Jesus is providing lunch today. He's not going to provide just enough. He'll provide more than enough. Don't just ask what you're hungry for, but what the people around you are hungry for. So there's this expansive thing, and that's because that's who God is, right? He is a generous, gracious, good God. We just sang that now, you're a good, good God, you know? That is who he is. But let's be clear, right? Let's not slip into this sort of, you know, 
prosperity thing, right? God is not a vending machine. We don't press certain buttons and get the candy bar we want. If we're motivated by love, it's not about giving so I can get more, right? That's not what we're talking about. We are talking about, though, I think living a life that is abundant the way Jesus talked about it. And I'll close with this uh, story. So when our kids were little, um, they drank a lot of apple juice. That was a staple in our house. You never went to the grocery store without buying apple juice. In fact, our son used to call Vaughn's the apple juice store. But once a year in the fall, we would drive out past Yukaipa to a place called Oak Glen, uh, where there are a bunch of apple orchards. And you can go to these orchards and you pick your own apples. And uh, the place we went along with being able to pick your own apples had a press. So you could uh, take the apples that you just picked off the tree and press your own apple juice. And so we would come home with you know, a big bag of apples and a big gallon jug of apple juice. And when you drank that apple juice, it was like biting into the freshest, crispest apple you ever had. And it made you realize that the stuff you bought at the store is like sugar water by comparison. Like there's no comparison. And so when it comes to this idea of generosity, it seems to me that the abundance that Jesus talks about is found in the joy and the freedom that comes when we lean into generosity, motivated by love, right? That that's the real stuff. And when we don't do that, it's like we're running down the aisles of the grocery store hoarding this sugary, substitute, watery, apple juice-labeled thing when the real life is waiting for us, that life abundant that's that real apple juice. So I think we've got a chance, I hope, to grow, to continue to grow in acting in love, in experiencing joy, and in knowing the freedom that comes uh, from living generously. Um, and as Ben has talked about, you know, we're at a transition point church-wise where we're going to become independent. Obviously, we hope that your story of generosity includes Vintage Pasadena, and Ben's going to talk about that in a second. But that's really not the point. The point is for us to lean into um, walking in love and learning to be just a bit more like Jesus.